Last week we looked at be available, and the week previous to that we, we, we looked at be rich. But th- this morning we're going to look at how we can be the best with our personal finance. With our personal finance. Unless we get intentional about addressing the issues of spending and saving and giving, we will never learn how to be generous. And Malachi chapter 1 is a great chapter. And uh, I want to read it from the message. You still may be able to follow it. I'm going to begin at verse 6. And it says there in Malachi 1 and verse 6, Isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God of the angel armies is calling you on the carpet. You priests despise me. You say, not so. How do we despise you? By your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. You ask, what do you mean defiling? What's defiling about it? Verse 7, when you say, the altar of God is not important anymore. Worship of God is no longer a priority. That's defiling. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind, sick, and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? Try a trick like that with your banker or your senator. How, do you, how far do you think it will get you? God of the angel armies asks you, Get on your knees and pray that I will be gracious to you. You priests have gotten everyone in trouble with this kind of conduct. Do you think I'll pay attention to you? God of the angel armies asks you. Why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion. With this silly, empty-headed worship, I am not pleased. The God of the angel armies is not pleased, and I don't want any more of this so-called worship. I want to say they're very, very powerful words, whether we've read them from the message or whether we've read them from the New International Version or wherever. You see, the issue here, God has a serious issue. And the issue is the people of God are bringing second-rate offerings. They are neither giving the first or the best. That's the issue here. They were bringing animals that, frankly, needed to be put down. And they were thinking, we know what, we've got to take a sacrifice to um, to the temple and give it to God, so we'll just use... They're just, you know, the, the stuff that's really not worth that much and isn't going to cost us that much. So we'll take that animal and we'll go and sacrifice that to the Lord. It's second best worship. Let me ask you a question. How many times have we given less than the best in our jobs? I wonder if anybody would be honest. There are times when we've not given the very best that we could have done. And yet the Bible is very clear that we work in, the, uh, in, in earthly um, positions 
and we should do it as unto the Lord. How many times has, have we given our second best attention to our families? This is a massive one for me. And people in general. You see, we're encouraged to be fully present. And there will be a time when I'll actually unpack some of that thinking, uh, possibly in a series about being fully present. And thirdly, how many times have we brought a second-rate offering in our worship through work or service or songs of praise where we've just come in and we've just gone through the motions We've been encouraged to lift our voices, but because we don't feel like it, we've just done a half-hearted, I don't know whether you can remember that scene from Mr. Bean, where he's just mouthing the words because he doesn't know the songs and he's just miming it and mimicking it. That's sometimes what we like. We just bring second-rate offerings, and then we look at the financial offerings, where we just bring second-rate financial giving into the house of God. I want to say God says, this is not what I say, God says, it's in Malachi, he would rather the temple doors be shut and lock them tightly than have all this silly, empty-headed worship. It's nonsense to God. He does not want any more of this so-called worship. Now, my Bible tells me that everything that I do is worship to him. Romans 12, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So everything I do is an act of worship. And I've begun to think about the area from Malachi chapter 1 where we need to give our best, be the best in our worship. And one of the most significant areas where every one of us can be the best is in the area of our personal finances. Why do I say that? Well, the number one cause of stress in the world today, according to a lot of research that has gone on, is money issues. Other than infidelity, the, the, other, the only other, the highest cause of divorce and marriage breakdown is what? Money, finance issues. So money plays a massive part. And you've heard it said before that Jesus spoke about money as much as any other subject. In fact, I think, uh, I haven't got all the research here, but he certainly spoke more, more about money than he did about hell and about heaven. This was an important issue of that day, and it's become even more important in this day. Are you still with me today? You're all look frowning and thinking, where is he going with this? You see, the hardest part of our worship to God, and the hardest part where we can be our best to God is with regards, I'm sorry, to our money. It's a big issue to every single one of us. And God is wanting us to give and to worship from our hearts. As we specifically address this issue of personal finance, I want to explore three areas where we can all do better and where we need to be committed to being the best in our worship to God. I want everybody to just write down, if you're taking notes, two words. Spending, <clears throat> excuse me, and saving. And then everybody say that together. Spending and, you didn't do good enough. Okay. There's two areas that we need to look at, first of all. I'm so glad Phil gave his heads up because we do have on the 9th of April, um, money management uh, morning that will be biblical, practical, and grace-filled. 
And uh, I want to encourage every one of us to sign into that morning. But with regards to spending and saving, let's look at the statistics again. Just two or three of them. The average household debt, excluding mortgage, in the United Kingdom is £16,336. These are up-to-date figures and, and uh, you know, I haven't just plucked them out of the air. It says that four in ten households, 19 million people, are worried about their level of debt. And more than 42% of British adults struggle each month to make it to payday. That is huge. Now, if this is you, I have, it's again, some bad news and some good news. I'm going to give the bad news, Heather, again first, and then there is some good news. The bad news is, if this is you, you are a consumer. You're driven by every ad, every impulse, and as someone said in our team meeting this week, driven by every loss to consume. I remember... uh, I I probably was a little boy, I stand corrected, but I'm sure it would have been in the 70s that Shirley Bassey sung a song. Hey, big spender! Pauline was already singing it to me. And the reality is, there are people here who are spending more than they earn. And that is a problem. We're spending on cars, on holidays, caravans, DIY improvements, clothes, mobile phones, trainers, impulse buys. We're putting it on loans, credit cards, HP. And many of us have done it. But we mustn't keep doing it. You see, there are two things that I want to look at. First of all, overspenders become slaves. Overspenders become slaves. There is some good news. I did say bad news, good news. So we are going to come on to some good news in a minute. But overspenders become slaves. Proverbs 22 verse 7 reads, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You see, overspenders become slaves. And I have a catchy line that I just looked at. I didn't Uh, pluck it from anywhere, but in this area of spending, we have to learn to discern. We have to learn to discern. What do we need to learn to discern? Well, it's rooted in Matthew 6 verse 19, and Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, destroy, and thieves break in. You see, we have a tendency to store up, so we have to learn to discern what are our areas of weakness. What are our areas of weakness? And ladies, you've had a bit of bad press, actually. We're always commenting on about your clothes and your shoes and your bags. But what about you men who love tools? You get power tools and screw... You're never going to use them, but you've got to buy them. And you just go and buy them and buy more. I come from a family who just love tools. My dad just loves tools. When we were walking around some of the supermarkets in America, you know, all he was interested in was the tool section. I'm like, Dad, we're on holiday here, man. Come on, just get a grip. But he was just into the tools. And there are people here we laugh, but we have to uh, discern, learn to discern what is our area of weakness. One of the areas of weakness, I don't want any rude comments would be for me, if you send me around a supermarket to go and do a food shop, I will always spend more than Caroline. Always. Particularly if the children are with me. 
Because I like to think that I am strong on discipline and I think I am in the home. But when it comes to dad, can we just have this? And they just wear me down. I have to, they just wear me down. I know I need to be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. Get ye behind me, Annie. But uh, she did it last night again. She just was wearing me down to the point where I just had to grab a bag of white chocolate buttons and just say, there you are. But if the area of weakness is the food shopping, well, send your wife shopping. There's a good excuse, husbands. You know, I like watches. Every time I go away on a holiday, I find a jeweler's and I'll try and barter, particularly if they're willing to barter on a watch. Caroline says to me, what on earth are you doing? I'll come out of the shop and I'm really smug because I've got the guy right down. Why have you done that? I says, well, you're not going to buy it. Am I not? No, you're not. I'm telling you. Oh, okay. You know, we're not going to buy it. For some people, it's cars. If my father-in-law will be in the second service, I'm sorry, don't go, don't visit the car supermarket. Bags, clothes, shoes, stay away from the shopping centers. Otherwise, you will become a what? A slave. You'll become a slave. I've been recently working through the book of Exodus. And there is such a graphic picture of slavery there with the people of God being in Egypt. And slavery for them was they were brutalized, they were abused, they were restricted, they were ridiculed, they had hard labor. Why? Because they were in slavery. And slavery means you are powerless to move and unable to be free. And in the area of finance, God wants us, the church, to live free. We will only live free as we determine not to be a consumer. Secondly, overspenders become fools. I'm sorry if you don't like that phrase, but this is the Bible because Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, the wise of wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. To spend everything you get means you are consuming. And have you ever felt foolish? Have you ever had that horrible feeling that everybody is watching and everyone knows? I've had that feeling on many occasions and I felt a total fool. Everybody is watching and everyone knows. And it's not a good place to be. Overspenders are fools. So there's the bad news. But the good news is, if you are in debt and you are in slavery and you feel a fool, the Bible tells us that we need to confess our sins before God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. You see, the great news, and this is really great news, is that God wants to help you. He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. You are his child. But you will need to heed the discipline of his word. We have to ask God to forgive us. We have to seek help. If we're a consumer and an overspender, we need to make ourselves accountable to someone with our finances. Don't bury your head in the sand. Cut up your cards today, get a budget, and get a grip. Don't be foolish with the resources. But take what you have and use it 
wisely. So spending, what about saving? Well, the Bible has much to say about saving as well. It is interesting that the UK household is at its lowest level with regards to saving. It's not surprising with, obviously, how things are running with interest rates and how the government is running. I do get that. But it seems like it isn't on people's agendas to save. And Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, the wise, we've read it in a different version, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. You see, the wise amongst us are people who will take what we've been given and we will then use that carefully and prudently and try and put some saving away. Some people call it a boiler fund, where we have a boiler fund and one church calls it that because in case the boiler packs up, they've got a boiler fund to be able to sort out the boiler. I was with somebody recently and they, they say we, ha- we have a fund called uh, We Can Do It Fund, which means to say that if something comes into their life and into their world, then they have sufficient money to be able to do that very thing, that, as that opportunity that has come their way. We need to work wisely, carefully, prudently with our money. One of the things that we have determined to do, Caroline and I, and we've really um, done so much better over the years on this, is that we now save for larger purchases. We just save our money up. It means that it's longer, but it means that we can actually do what we need to do without any kind of difficulties. Do I have a mortgage? Yes, I have a mortgage. Do I have any other loans? around my life or car loans or no not at all now I'm absolutely free and I feel free in Jesus name I haven't always lived like that you're looking at a man who was a consumer who was involved in all kinds of things and 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 got ourselves before we came here uh, to 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 Ilkeston we were in a terrible mess with our finances for one way or another but we have to determine to give our finances to God So savings, it's important that we put something aside. But I just have a very quick warning to those people who live like Ebenezer Scrooge. In that you just hoard. Ecclesiastes 5.13 in the New Living Translation says this. There is another serious problem. It's not just that people are spending, that Solomon had seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. James 5 puts it another way. Let me just read it quickly from verse 1. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Well, they're wealthy. How can they have trouble? Well, let's just see what what James has to say. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are becoming moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. That is powerful words. You see, hoarding as opposed to saving will keep you in slavery too. There's a difference between saving and hoarding. In fact, it actually says, read the Bible, that hoarding will lead you into the fire. Why do I think that this is a problem? And some of the guys have been around me, and I'm really impassioned by this, and I don't just want to be impassioned and enthused for a week, and then I forget about it. I want to be committed to doing something about this, both personally and corporately in the life of this church. But 1.75 billion people are living in abject poverty today. 
as we are sat in this beautiful, comfortable room and we have food to go to, there are 1.75 billion people on the earth that God loves, with people that God loves, who have no food. And half of the world's population are existing on less than two pounds a day. We were reminded, a few of us on Thursday, from the speaker, and he made this statement, I'm not a socialist, and neither am I. But we are reminded to care for the less fortunate. We need to be people that save, but please don't be hoarders. Let's go on to giving. Everybody say giving. You thought, here we go. Here we now come on to this is the main, the main thing. Well, if we're going to be the best, we've got to be the best in our spending and in our saving and also in our giving. It's reported that the average church member gives 3% of their net income into the local church. We haven't done the results on this church. I'm saying just generally across the board. And this last part of my talk will concentrate how we can be the best as we give. We're going to go to the video. I've just got an illustration up here. And then I've got four very quick points that I'm going to roll out. And then we'll be finished. So let's just watch the video again. So we've looked at spending and saving. But this delicate area of giving, particularly to the local church, I would like to address, if I may. And I want to use this um, apple and blackcurrant pie to demonstrate something. Each of us has an income that comes into our house, whether that be £80 a week or £250 a week. Or for those who are fortunate to earn very good money, um, it could be £500 plus. But we all have income and it all makes up our pie. But out of that income, there are things that have to be spent. So, for example, it may be you have a a mortgage or you've got a a rent, and that takes quite a bit of of the pie. So, straight away, each month, there's quite a big, substantial piece that comes out of your pie. And then, you've obviously, of course, got council tax and, and utilities, so water, electricity, gas. But let's be honest... None of it's going down, it tends to be going up. So there's another piece that comes out of of the pie. Then, of course, there's food that we have to buy um, to to live. And uh, we're very grateful for the food that we have. And we know that with four children, you know, it's quite a substantial amount that comes out. So that's the food that's that's gone each month. And you can tell I'm not overly specialised at this. But I will do it. And then for some people, there's allowance that goes out each each month. That goes onto the plate. And then for others, there's the, the kids' activities, which could be drum lessons. It could be piano, drama, dance. That comes out. There's the insurances, household. You know, there's life insurances that come out. And then there's, you know, that saving, you're saving for Christmas, you know, and, uh, you know, for a holiday, which is all great, or just saving in general. And before you know what, there's just some crumbs that are left on the, on the plate. And this is what we're left with to, to give to, to God. And yet God tells us specifically that we need to give our first and our best. Many of us take this piece, this little bit that's left, and we give it 
to God's house. I have to be honest with you, if we, if we live with just that amount, we're not living generous lives, we're, we're living selfish lives. And for some people, they give a little bit to God, and um, that little bit makes up the pie. But there are many people who actually say, well, we don't actually give anything. So immediately what happens is we take a little bit out of this pie. Let's see if I can get it out. Yeah, we're not the best at this, but we'll have a go. There we go. Because there's a proportion of people that actually say, for whatever reason, we, we don't give. You may say, well, why do we need to give to the local uh, house? Why do we need to give to the local church? Well, the reality is it's a house like any other, so there are things that have to be paid for. So let me give you a, an illustration of this. It could be that there's a percentage of, of this pie that's given away to the utilities. So the gas and the electricity and the water that runs the building, uh, we have to give something to. So let's get rid of that, shall we? And then there's the staffing costs. There's administration, there's pastor's salaries. Uh, there's all the things that make the church work. And it's impossible to run without people. People are our greatest resource. And so that takes a portion of the pie. Now, all of you here have got families and children. You want great youth programs and children's programs. And so we give a proportion to youth and to children. And then you may say, well, we actually believe in community outreach and touching the locality and touching the world. Well, so do we. So there's a proportion that goes to there. And I did forget to say as well from this church, we actually give a 10% tithe from the house. So that immediately goes as well. And so that goes into the, uh, the, uh, onto the plate. And then we haven't addressed the issue of the mortgage. We haven't addressed the issue of, of um, marketing. We haven't addressed issues of Bibles and promotional uh, materials that we need for discipleship. We haven't addressed the issues of training. And you can see how on earth are we going to get any more pieces out of this pie? You see, God wants us to live generous lives. And he wants us to be people that give of our best and give of our first and give everything to God. So there is enough to go around to support everything that we do. We're going to continue with the journey of looking at how we can be the best and how we can give our best. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, um, but that's the reality. And uh, thanks to Dave again for doing all the videoing. And we are just trying to do something a little bit different with the video. And so I hope it comes across okay sometimes than just me here. And actually, some people said to me last time, we actually prefer you up there than here. So I don't, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or as a, <laughs> or as a put down. But anyway... Um, I don't know about you, but that carrot cake certainly made me feel hungry. It was really nice, wasn't it, Dave? We had a piece after, we had a drink, and it was great. Um, but we're going to continue how we can be our best with regards to giving. I want to say I get debt. I get it. I get that some of you here are in debt, and you say there's no way we can give anything. And that's why, really, we want to help you uh, over the course of the months, weeks, years, what it will take you to get you to a point where actually you're free and you're out of slavery so you can begin to just give to God. So we get that. We get redundancy. We get poor choices. 
I've just expressed to you without going into detail some of the poor choices that I made which created debt issues, you know, a good 12, 13 years ago around our lives. But the thing is, as we begin to address the issue of debt, we need to address the issue of giving as well. Now, some of you, and I'm not going to roll out a 10% tithe here, I am going to touch on tithe, but I am going to say that some of you haven't got even faith for 1%, never mind 10%. Or you may say, I've got enough faith for 1%. Well, may I encourage you to start exercising your faith and believe God for giving and trusting him with that. You see, God wants us to be people that live generous lives. So we have a, a piece of cake that is ours, and God actually says, that is your cake. I'm gonna, you're going to choose what you're going to do with it because I haven't programmed you. But, you know, for me, when I look at that, it's, it's out of my worship to God. We, we made a, de- a determined decision to actually say to, to the finance team here, look, we want it on standing order. We want it to be the first thing that goes out of, 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 our, of our monies because we wanted to give the first and the best. I, I heard a, an outline. Phil gave me a la- an outline uh, only last week. I can't better it, so I'm going to use his four points. And it's four lessons or four reasons to give. And um, for the note takers, I'm just going to give you them in bullet point, make a statement, and then move on quickly. Because I think I'm hoping that that video did enough. The first thing is why we give. Number one, we provide for his work. Staff, buildings, ministries, activities, these all cost money. And actually, this is the biblical order. It isn't that we're, I'm trying to line my own pocket and trying to get my salary. It's nothing to do with those things. Yes, the church do pay me. That's absolutely, absolutely the case. But this is the biblical model that we see, both in Old Testament and New Testament. People say, well, that's the Old Testament. Where do you see it in the New Testament? Well, just get your head around this. Why were people selling their possessions and houses and placing it at the apostles' feet? It wasn't just to distribute amongst the poor. It was to take care of that growing, burgeoning congregation that was happening and the outreach and church planting and other things. And people always say about the Apostle Paul being a tent maker. Let me say, what about the other apostles? I have to just make that as a statement. I keep hearing these statements that are made. One-offs. What about the other apostles? Somebody had to be taking care of the needs. And it was the people that were around was taking care of the needs. And there's a lot of need around the life of the church. We enjoy great chairs. We enjoy beautiful carpet. We enjoy nice clean walls. And we'd hate it, wouldn't we? Let's be honest. If we were coming into old wooden chairs and coming into tatty carpet and coming into a cold building, wouldn't we just be honest? We, We wouldn't enjoy it. Well, these things cost. So we provide for his work. You see, he uses people, old, young, widows, poor people, rich people, business people, to provide. Just as your house can't operate effectively effectively without income, neither can God's house. Secondly, it gives us the opportunity to prove his faithfulness, God's faithfulness. God is looking for ways in which to show to you he is in charge of your life. I want you to know that God wants to be in charge of your life. And he's looking for ways to show you that he's in charge of your life. And for me, money is the greatest challenge to God in my life and in the Western world. If you ask me, do I struggle with sex? No. Do I struggle with uh, power? No. What anybody wants to think about me. But in this area of money, it's a big challenge for me. It's a big, big challenge for me. 
in that we just want to consume and we want to keep and we want to control most of us if we're being really, really honest. And this is where God wants to bring us to where we say, actually, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to give what's due you and I'm going to trust you with everything. And it is remarkable that God helps us and he proves his faithfulness. Thirdly, it provides for the need of others. We were reminded on Thursday in a meeting with um, the regional leadership that we needed to have a global perspective. Matthew 25, that George Ridley, uh, about 14 months ago, came and shared through the life of the church, and and he ministered from Matthew 25. And you'll notice there that Jesus says to the people, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick and alone, and nobody took care of me. Nobody fed me, nobody gave me a cup because I was thirsty. I was a stranger, nobody invited me in. I was naked, nobody clothed me. I was sick, nobody healed me. I was alone, nobody visited me. And you see, when we give, we provide for the needs of others. It gives us the opportunity to actually go and help other people. And in the 11 o'clock service, Neil and, well, Lucy Hudson is going to be here from Albania. She's in a whistle-stop tour because she had to be here for a conference. And we've been able to, over the years, just help Lou and Neil and the family in Albania to just help people who are in need. I love this thought of giving to others. And fourthly, We properly honor God. I want to read from Deuteronomy in chapter 14. And Eric shared these verses with me during the week. And I thought they're worthy of saving the best till last. And in Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 it says there, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honoured, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithe of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Don't get caught up in all the oil and wine and grain and animals, etc. It's talking about your income. And then the last closing line in this, doing this, As you bring this, as you honor God with me, and bringing the first and the best, doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Doing what? Doing giving. Will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. You see, as we give to God, we properly honor God. The Lord needs to continue to help us, church. If we think this morning that this was, well, it was all right. It was just Christian toast talking about, you know, money again. No, I'm talking about worship. I'm talking about being our best. We can't talk about being our best in discipleship and being our best in being a soul winner and being our best in getting up in the morning and reading our Bible if we're not committed to being the best in all areas. And I want to be the best in all areas. That isn't just about giving. That's about spending and saving and giving. May the Lord help us this morning to give of our first and our best. Can we just bow our heads and pray? Lord, I'm mindful.